20, what I'd like to do is go ahead and pray for Anthony, uh, ask the Lord to bless uh, his word this morning, and then we'll jump right into the message this morning. We'll be in Matthew 28, and we'll have the scripture here, but we're continuing our series on what is our mission, and I'm going to warn you, it's going to be so simple. We're going to keep it simple, all right? But I don't know about you, but I, I like simple, and I think it's so important. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but let's pray. Lord, I pray you would just bless your word this morning. As we're about to open your word, I pray that you would bless it. Lord, we know that, uh, that it is your word, and I pray that we would receive it, Lord, and that we would just, as Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so I pray that we would have open uh, minds and hearts, Lord, to receive your word. Lord, we pray uh, for the uh, missions team down in Ecuador. We pray for Anthony. Lord, we pray you'd watch over him and, and protect him. Lord, we pray that you would use them mightily, Lord, as they are training and equipping the national pastors there, uh, Lord, to, to do, Lord, the work that you have called them to do. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just bless them. I, I pray for safety, especially, Lord. And we pray that uh, you would keep them safe uh, as they make their way home later this week. Uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for all of your blessings. Uh, we thank you, Lord, even for the snow. We do thank you for it. But, Lord, we're so ready for spring. So please, please send your sunshine minus the wind, minus snow, and much warmer temperatures. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. God answers prayer, right? And so Matthew chapter 28, what is our mission? What is our mission? Let's look at this passage We've been on this series for a few weeks. I'll just take a moment or two to review, and we'll, we'll jump right in. But Matthew 28, 18 through 20, notice the words of Jesus. This is uh, some of the last words of Jesus here before he ascends up to the Father. And he says this, Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority, or all power, all authority, he says, in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, now he's giving it to his, to his followers. He says, therefore, go. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. What does he say to do? He says, go and do what? Make disciples. We'll talk about that in a moment. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Means everyone. In Mark, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the nations. He says, notice, make disciples of them, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and of the Son. In the Holy Spirit. He says, in teaching them to, to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I like this, he reminds them that he's with us, amen, that we're, we're in mission with him. We're to be in mission and on mission with Jesus. He says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is our mission? We've been looking at this for just a few weeks now, and I want to remind you uh, of, of kind of the, the overarching theme of this series is this, is keeping the main thing the main thing. We mentioned, we, we talked a little bit about the whole idea of the KISS principle. How many remember what the KISS principle is? Say it with me. Keep it simple. Silly, stupid. Keep it simple what? Sweetie. Oh, there you go. There you go. That... That's the woke version, I guess, or something. I don't know. <laughs> the Mary Kay version. All right. So anyway, so we're, how woke can we get? Anyway, so keep it simple, 
sweetie. Keep it simple, silly. Keep it simple, you fill in the blank. But that was a principle that even the, the U.S. military engaged a number of years back because they realized that, that simplicity is oftentimes it, it's so key, it's so crucial. I want to remind us is, is that the, Jesus, when he came, he kept it very simple. And I believe that so many times we find a way, even as the church, the Christian church, as the church, as followers of Christ, Christianity can oftentimes become very, very complicated. In fact, I think sometimes, if we're not careful, even as the church, I say it in general, whether it's Red Hills or the church, the, the body of Christ, we can get so distracted that sometimes we, we miss the whole point of why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. It's, it's like I was reading in a book once, and a man gave the analogy of a, of, of a person in a boat, and they get in that boat, and they get so busy rowing and rowing and rowing that they don't even know where they're at and where they're going. You know, I think sometimes if we're not uh, careful, as the church, we can do the same thing. So there was a number of things that we said as we're keeping it simple, keeping the main thing the main thing, is we, we started with, with the ministry of Jesus and why did Jesus come? And Jesus said he came, he was on mission, and his mission was this, to seek and to save that which was lost. And so our mission should be his mission. And even here in this great commission, Jesus gives a great commission. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to, to every nation. And so that should be one thing that we should realize is our mission, is that we are here to reach the lost. And Jesus gave the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and, and, and the lost son and how they, they went through every whatever means necessary to find that lost sheep and to find that lost coin. Last week we saw the importance uh, of, of Timothy preaching the word. Paul says to the churches in his last words, some of his last recorded words, he says to Timothy, as you take over the responsibility to the churches, he says, do this. He says, above all else, do this, preach the word. Amen. Proclaim the word of God. We see here even in this great commission, what does Jesus say? He says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, chase after the lost sheep, go out and find them and compel them to come in. We see, he says, to go out and to instruct them and to teach them. What are we to teach them? To observe all things. But where do we learn these things? We learn them from the scriptures. We see Jesus emphasizing that one of the main things is the proclamation of the word of God to preach the word of God. At Red Hills, I believe it is of, of the utmost importance that the word of God is a priority, amen? That the word of God is important. Now, I want you to notice he then says this as well. He says, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the, and the, and the Holy Spirit. But he said, I want you to make disciples, and so I want to ask us this question. We want to keep it simple, amen, and keep the main thing the main thing. He says, make disciples. And I want to, don't want any answers yet, but what does a disciple look like? If we're to make disciples, and one of, you look at our bulletin, it's love God, love others. We're going to speak of those two things, and then make disciples. Well, what does a disciple look like? And I'd like to take a few moments and look through Scripture and, and help us understand 
what a disciple looks like. I think that if we're not careful that as the church, I say the church broad, that somewhere along the line we've complicated what a disciple looks like. If we were to say, what does a true disciple follower of Jesus Christ look like? I'm sure there would be many, many, many different ideas and many, many different thoughts and many people coming up with many different things of what a disciple looks like. I mean, years ago, growing up, even in the type of church that I went to growing up, it was leaned very much on legalism and very legalistic. Being a disciple of Christ means you had to have the perfect haircut. And it wasn't bald, but if you had hair, you, you know, guys had to have a perfect haircut, you know? And, and I'm just being, can I just be really real? Can I be really authentic? Is that okay? Can we just talk about this for a little bit? But for a lot of churches, what a disciple looked like had to do with what they looked like on the outside, but had nothing to do with how they were conducting their lives or what they looked like on the inside. Come on now. A lot of times it was about appearance. Maybe for some, for some people, maybe being a disciple of Christ is shaving your head and moving to a monastery somewhere and becoming a monk. That might be an idea of what a true disciple. For others, it may be how they look and their appearance. Sad to say, but for many years, the church was more focused upon the external and what a person looked like and how they dressed. And that was all about what a true disciple was all about. I'm reminded of a movie I just went to see not long ago called Jesus Revolution. How many of you have seen it? Woo, all right. How many of you have not seen it? Wow. Okay, you got to check it out. Jesus Revolution, powerful movie, powerful movie. I don't want to give the whole movie away because I want you to go watch it. But it's, it's kind of a, a record and, and a, it, it's amazing. Of a, of a, we saw an awakening in this country in the late 60s, early 70s. And of all people that God used, he used the hippies, amen? Some of you are saying, let's go! Some of you still look like a hippie, but all your hair fell out, like me, right? <laughs> so now we don't have that proof or evidence. But it happened there, in, it was in Southern California. And only the, the, the part I want to just talk about is just for a moment, as we get ready to jump into this, is, but what does a disciple of Jesus look like? And in this in this awakening and moving, basically, God began to move and work in that, in that rebel generation. There were a bunch of hippies, and they, yes, they were doing a lot of drugs, and yes, they were exploring all kinds of things, but the reality is, is they were looking for what was missing in their life, and what was missing was a relationship with the Father. 
And they were searching and searching and searching. And there were some brave souls who were willing to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And as they began to believe upon Christ, and as the Lord began to transform them, they began to come to, to church. By the way, the whole Calvary movement, Calvary Church, Calvary movement, is basically because a pastor named Chuck Smith had the courage, had the courage to welcome them into his church. But when he welcomed them to his church, what do you think the rest of the congregation did? Well, they don't look like a follower of Jesus. Oh, wait, what does a follower of Jesus look like? And so it literally, he had to literally say the door goes both ways, folks. That door is always open. For anyone and whoever wants to come to Jesus, the door is open and you may come, but the door is also open. If you need to walk out, then walk out. Can I tell you, it took a lot of courage to get up and, and say and do what he did. They complained. They were worried that they, they were staining the carpet because they were coming in in their bare feet, many of them living literally homeless camps but they were coming to Jesus and being set free from their addictions. That's the power of Jesus we just sang about, by the way. Amen? Amen. They were being set free. And instead of the church rejoicing, they were critical and the church people were upset. And so he, he took care of that problem. He took a basin of water. And the very next Sunday, because they didn't want to ruin the church carpet, he washed their feet as each one of them would walk into the sanctuary. How awesome is that? But the, the church did not welcome them. And I would say that there were many churches that were just like that church. We have this idea that we think we know what a disciple of Christ looks like. But I think we've complicated what a true disciple of Jesus looks like. So we're going to keep it simple. You ready? Look at a few verses this morning. Matthew chapter 22, 36 through 40. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. What does a disciple of Jesus look like? You ready? This is, I'm going to narrow it down. This is what I believe a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. It's going to be so simple. You ready? Pharisees came to Jesus and they said this. They're trying to trick Jesus. And they said, teacher... Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Amen. And the second is like it. You got this? Love your neighbor as yourself. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, all the law and the prophets, all of them, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what does a disciple look like? First of all, what does a disciple look like? A true disciple, disciple, follower of Jesus Christ looks like this. He loves God with all, he or she loves God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their might, with all of their being. They have a true heart for God. That's what a disciple looks like. 
Jesus said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love God with all of your being, with all of your hearts. And he says, this is the greatest of all commands. To love God. To truly love God with all that you have, with all that you are. Doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter what language you speak, it does not matter long hair, short hair, amen. No hair. No hair. <laughs> I'm glad you covered that one. Doesn't matter if you dress up or don't dress up. Come on now. Love God with all of your being, with all of your heart and soul and mind and might. This is the greatest of all commands, to love God. Listen to what John 14 says, verse 15 through 17. John 14, 15 through 17. I love this. Jesus said, if you love me, what will you do? Keep my commandments. So the greatest of all commands is just to love God with all that you are, with, with your total being. And he says, if you love me, what's, what's our response going to be? We're going to do what? We're going to keep his commandments. He said, if you love me, keep my commands. But I don't want to stop there because I want we, we quote it and we stop there. But I want you to get the rest of this. And he says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, speaking of the Holy Spirit. He says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. I love this for he lives with you and will be in you. So understand this. He says, what is, we're asking this question, what does a disciple look like? A disciple is, is anyone who loves God with all of their heart and soul and mind and being. They love God. But follow me now here. If you, if you truly love God and you, are, you, you desire to please him and to know him, understand this. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will come and dwell inside of you. Amen. And when that Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, it is He, the Spirit, that will give you the ability to keep His commandments. Are you with me? So the Holy Spirit enables us to live in obedience and to, to truly to, to, to do what God has asked us to do. And there's all those commands that we, we want to talk about, but oftentimes... We don't realize that if we just keep it simple, if we love God and we're in relationship with God and we accept him and believe upon him and we truly desire to know him, his spirit comes in within us and it is his spirit that enables us to do the work that he's called us to do, which is, he says, if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. Oftentimes, this is what ends up happening, though. When people have lose this desire to keep the commandments or they say things like this like well I don't want to keep the commandments and and people will say well you have a, you're having a rebellious problem you're having an obedience problem no 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 wait pause it is not a rebellious problem or an obedience problem it's a love problem 
Y'all with me? It's a love problem. At the end of the day, in my marriage, I will do certain things that I don't necessarily want to do or desire to do because I love my wife. Right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you, would, you would not do it. But because you love your wife. By the way, Sam, you're going to be getting married soon. Take notes. <laughs> he was at our house late last night. And before he left, of course, you guys know my daughter's engaged to marry Sam, right? Some of you know that. Some of you don't. Wedding's coming up. And I love to watch. I love to watch Sam, just watch him have to do all these things he doesn't want to do. He actually cleans up the dog poop in my backyard. Because <laughs> it's her dog out there, one of, the, one of the three. But her dog's out there pooping. And I'll come home and I'll see him out there with bags. And I'm like, boy, this guy is whipped. He is whipped. I'm like, I love it. And I'm like, I just want to go get the ring, you know, right here, you know. And so the last two nights, she's like, you want to take, her, do her dog's name is Zion. Cute dog, but it's still puppy, hyperactive. And it hears every single noise and barks and wants to bark. And so the last two nights, she's like, you really want to take Zion home to your house, right? You, Zion, Zion wants to be with you. It's only because she wants to get a good night's sleep. Because every noise, the dog's like, rrr, rrr, and wakes her up. And so now he's taking Zion home, you know, uh, at night. She gets him during the day, he gets him at night. Wow, you know? But what I'm getting at is this, is that truly to me is a sign that he's whipped. I mean, no, that he loves her, you know? That he loves her. And, and you'll do things, right? Come on, men and women. You'll do something for someone because you love them. Maybe not even necessarily maybe what you desire to do, but because you love them, you're willing to do it. And Jesus said, if you'll love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. And so he says, what does a disciple look like? I believe that this is really condensing it down to the simplest form. What does it look like to be a disciple? To be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ is this, is that we love God with all of our being and with all of our hearts. And when we do, then we are willing to be obedient and follow his commands. And the Holy Spirit will equip us and enable us to do what we, humanly speaking, cannot do but the Spirit will enable us to do it. The second thing he says is this, is he says that you will love others as yourself. He says this is the second and greatest commandment. And so what we see is this, what does a disciple look like? A disciple loves God. And it's very obvious when you're around someone who loves the Lord because they're going to talk about the Lord. They're going to be passionate about the things of God. They can't but help but share their, their love for the Lord with other people, and it's going to be obvious. You're just going to see it. You're just going to say there's something about that person. That person loves God. It's just, it just, it's just obvious that they have a relationship with the Lord. But then also, he says, you're going to love others. And he says, this is the second and greatest 
of all commands. In fact, I believe that Jesus even said it here in his own teachings. Look at John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. He says this. He says, a new command I give you. A new command I give you. It's new. What's this new command? He says, love one another. Well, you say, well, that's not new. The Bible already talked about that and said that. You're right. But notice the next statement, as I have loved you. He's saying you're not only to like or to necessarily love, and there's different degrees of love, and we know this. What Jesus is saying is, I'm commanding you to not just phileo love, brotherly love, but I'm commanding you and telling you that I want you to agape love, to have that Christ-like love for one another. He says, as I have loved you, you should also love one another. And notice what he says, by this everyone will know that you are my, can you say the next words? Disciples. Isn't that so simple? <laughs> How did we complicate something so simple? Um, how many of you, can you just agree with me? How, how could we, how did we, for so many years, how have we as the church complicated what it looks like to be a disciple? Are you with me? We, there's so many ideas and so many things of what it looks like to be a disciple that we don't even, no one, even, if you even ask a question, what does a disciple look like? Most people can't really narrow it down. And really what it comes down to is he says, love God and do what? Love your neighbor as, as Christ loved you. And he says, by this all will know that you are my disciple if you what? Love one another. That's it. How simple, can, it's so simple. By this all men will know that you are my disciple if you have love one toward another. And he says the idea is this, you love others, Jesus said the way I have loved you. We come back to this again. We cannot do it in our own flesh. We can only do it with the help of the Spirit of God. Amen? To love others. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 4. Paul, this, we don't have time for this whole chapter. I preached on this a while back in a series on love. But I just want to remind you the first few, few verses of 1 Corinthians 13. He says this, I speak. He says, if I could speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love. He says, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor, you could give everything you have away. You could give your body to hardship. Some version will say this, to be burned, to be burned at the stake. You could be willing to, 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 to die a martyr's death, but he says, but you do not have love. He says, I gain nothing. And he goes on and he begins, we don't have time to go to the whole chapter, but he says, love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, it's not proud. And we don't have time to go in, into the whole thing, but it goes on to say that, that, that there's faith, there's hope, and there's love. And the greatest is what? The greatest is love. And he says that love never fails. And so Paul reminds us that, that we can do lots of things. Can I say it like this, church? We can have all of the right doctrine and all of the right teachings, but still not really be a disciple of Christ. Does that make sense? 
You know, there's a lot of churches that if you look at them on paper, okay, and you look at what they believe and what they say they believe, you'd be like, yes, yes, on paper, they are theologically sound. But can I say something? They're not living like followers of Christ. Many of the times there is no love for the brethren. They have all the right, they can say all the right things. They have all the right theology. They have all the right doctrine. But many a times there is not a love for one another. He says, you can do all of these things and all it will be is like a clanging gong. (laughs) A lot of talk. The little phrase that comes in my mind, something my dad would always say to me, and you've probably heard this statement. It goes something like this. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And there's a lot of truth to that, amen? I'll say it again. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Do you know a lot of times as the church, I say the church, or as we as Christians, we want to tell everyone how much we know. We want to tell everyone how wrong they are or where they're wrong and where they need all these things. But the fact of the matter is, if we do not love them, they really don't care what we have to say. Come on. Right? It's just a gong, 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 gong. It's that annoying ringing and dinging that just wears you out. By the way, a lot of Christians, that's what they are to this world. They're just a loud, annoying, clanging bell that just irritates this world. (laughs) People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's what Paul is saying in Corinthians. And he says, love never fails. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Peter says this. He says, above all, do what? Love each other deeply. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. The idea is, is that love will cause us to forgive when people offend us and when people hurt us. Love will cause us to overlook a lot of things. Love will cause us to, to, in marriage and in our relationships and in our church family, in our church body. He says love covers over a multitude of sins, a multitude of offenses. By the way, can I say this? There is no perfect church. Why are you guys all shocked right there? (laughs) There is no perfect church. There is not. There's no perfect family. There's no perfect marriage. There's no, there's no perfect parents. And understand love is that glue, it's that bond that holds us together. Love causes us to be willing to forgive, amen? And so Peter says, listen, love will, will cause you, he says, it will, it will bring this ability because you love someone to cover over a multitude of offenses and sins. Solomon says it in the book of Proverbs as well. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 10. 
In Romans, he says this. It's all through Scripture. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honoring others over your own self. Thinking of others over your own self. Not living, as Paul said in Corinthians 13, not living selfishly and only looking out for your own needs but the needs of others. He tells the church there, he says, listen, be devoted. Be devoted to love. Loving one another, the way that Christ loved you, forgiving one another. This is important. Amen? This is important for our homes and for our families. This is important for our marriages. That love is the bond that holds us together. And then one last passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Jesus being the greatest example of this. He says this. He says, therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united in Christ, let me ask you, are you, do you have any encouragement from being united in Christ? If you do, say amen. 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 He says, all right. If any of you are, have comfort from his love, do you have comfort from his love? Amen. Good. Very good. If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion he says, do you have, do you have that, that spirit of, of that idea of the Holy Spirit that bears witness with one another and you've experienced love from one another? He says, then make my joy complete. Paul says to the church, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. Doing nothing, notice this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Notice these words, value others above yourselves. By the way, that can be a challenge sometimes, amen? Again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says you can have the ability to prefer and to value others over yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Looking out for the others, he says. In your relationships with one another, in our relationships with one another, whether it's church, family, marriage, friendship, notice what he says. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what was that mindset? who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he says this, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, even the death on the cross. The Bible says, look at the example that Jesus set. He humbled himself. He was God in the flesh. He was God. And he says, he did not take that lightly. And he didn't use it. Him being divine and him being God, he did not use it to his own advantage. But rather, what did he do? He humbled himself, made himself a servant, even willing to wash the feet of his disciples. And because he loved them, even more than himself, because he loved them, he willingly was obedient and willing to go and die on the cross. And he took your place and he took my place upon the cross. Why? Because of love. He loved us. 
He loved us in spite of our faults and our flaws. He loved us. By the way, a love covers a multitude of sins. Amen? And the love of Jesus Christ covers our sins because of what he did for us on the cross. He still went to the cross because he loved us. Church, we have this call to be a disciple of Christ. What does it look like to be a disciple? To love God, amen? With all of your heart and mind and all of your being, to love him and to be passionate about that love. To have a hunger and a thirst for him. As the psalmist said, he says, he, he, as, the, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. To have a love for God. And that love for God should be obviously evident when people meet us and they get to know us and say, boy, that something about that person, they, they love the Lord. What does a disciple look like? Well, a disciple has a love for others, puts others over them, their own selves and their own desires, their own needs sometimes, a true love for others. I want to just finish by just um, sharing this with you. Some of you know this, but as we were praying about where God would, would lead us, to which church, I had actually visited a church up in Idaho. And it, it's a long story, but I knew God was calling me somewhere out here, either Idaho or Utah. And so there was some correspondence between Red Hills and the church up in Idaho, and very long story short, the other church was kind of earlier. They, were, they had moved along a little bit quicker. And so I actually was very honest and transparent, right, with Red Hills, and I said, well, I don't want to compare churches. I want the will of God. I want the will of God, and I just want to be, I, I knew it was going to be one of the two. And honestly, I, it's hard for me to, to like, communicate all of this in a matter of three or four or five minutes, but something earlier on said in my spirit, Red Hills is where God's going to have you. God is leading, but I was like, okay, God, then you're going to have to work this thing out. Long story short, they were already looking at two or three other options, and I said, well, there's this other church, and I don't want to do comparison. I want it to be God's will. As far as comparison, like size of property, building, facility, I wanted none of that to be, I just wanted God's will. And so my daughter and I went and we visited the church up in Idaho. And the honest truth is one of the main things that really, in my spirit, that really was moving and working was, do these people truly love one another? What are they like? Is there a love? Because here's the thing. If you're going to be in a small town, a small community, you're not going to be able to reach that community if you don't love one another. <laughs> because if you're not loving one another, then you're not really a disciple of Christ. Does this make sense? Yeah. If you're not really demonstrating that love. And so I did not have peace. I went in view of a call. I preached. We visited the area, I prayed and sought God, I fasted, talked with my family, and we prayed, but I just did not have peace.
peace about it. What's interesting is all these people, when we were there, they said all the right things. When I shared with them that I did not believe it was God's will, immediately I got one or two hate messages. And angry and mad, they began to unfriend us on social media. Unfriend my wife, unfriend my kids, unfriend me. I mean, it was like, and it was immediately the Holy Spirit was like confirmation. Could you imagine putting your family in the midst of that? Are you with me? Y'all still tracking. (laughs) How are you going to go and reach that community with the gospel if they don't demonstrate love one toward another? They were literally mad, like angry. And I made sure I was very clear. I am seeking God's will in all of these things. So I came back home. We prayed about it for a couple days. I wanted to make sure. Once we said no, all of a sudden confirmation. And my wife goes, can you imagine being in the middle of that? And then my wife goes, well, we blew it. Now Red Hills is off the table. <laughs> There's no, and I said, well, I'll just send an email. Lo and behold, God had completely closed the door for the other, other pastors that were thinking about completely closed. And they were beginning the process over. And then God steps in. Amen? Now let me share with you one thing I want to just share with you. We came and we visited. Many of you didn't even know. We just came for a visit. And we met the search team. And... The one evening we met and we were going out to Melts, and we have a, our son who's very, who's autistic, ADHD, and they possibly believe he has ODD, uh, which some of you probably don't even know, but it's a opposition defiance disorder, which is very challenging. And so we all met there to eat and they got to see all three of those things. They saw my wife getting her hair pulled out and literally and getting clawed and it was just too much for him and then my wife had to leave and, and all of these things. But um, I remember saying to them, you know, saying, I'm, you know, you, you saw it. And I even told him, I said, listen, you know, as we're here, when we're here, what you see is what you get. We're, we're not a perfect family. We don't have a perfect family. We don't have that perfect marriage and all my kids aren't perfect and you know, what you see is what you get, and this is who we are, and this is what you're getting. And I kind of even said these words, if you remember. Some of you, I said, you're kind of getting some baggage. We're, it's going to be complicated. It's going to be complicated. It's not easy because sometimes my wife can't be placed. I can't because one of us has to be with him, watching him. It's 24-7 care. And I said, so maybe, maybe, you know, maybe this just, you know, I don't know. I'm just being honest. I want, all I want is God's will, and I want God, you know, what God wants. The thing that was the most humbling thing is when they sat down and they talked to my wife and I, the team, and a number of them, they said this, we believe that it's God's will for you to come to Red Hills. And one of the reasons why we believe that is this, is because we want to come alongside and we want to be in help and encouragement and we want to help love your son even though he's a challenge. You do not even realize how much that meant to us. 
Can I just say this? You know why Red Hills Church is growing? It's because there's a Christ-like love for one another at Red Hills. Amen? And the world is so in desperate need of love. True, authentic, real, dirty, messy, <laughs> dysfunctional love. Amen? Not putting on an air, not putting on a show, but true love. That means that sometimes you're not going to agree and you're going to disagree and you're going to agree to disagree and you're going to sometimes butt heads and you're not always going to agree, but at the end of the day, you're going to hug and you're going to love one another because we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we are God's family. Amen? And that's how this world knows that we're his disciples because we have love one toward another. It was very clear that this is where God wanted us because I knew this, that if this church has love one for another, we'll be able to reach this community with the gospel, amen? Because love speaks all, it's a language that speaks itself. It's a whole language that can go through every language barrier. It is amazing what love can do. Love never, ever, ever fails. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and pray. Lord,